Chapter Fourteen of A Country Doctor by Sarah Orne Jewett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. Miss Prince of Dunport. While all these years were passing, Miss Anna Prince, the elder, was living quietly in Dunport, and she had changed so little that her friends frequently complimented her upon such continued youthfulness. She had by no means forgotten the two greatest among the many losses and sorrows of her life, but the first sharp pain of them was long since over with. The lover, from whom she had parted for the sake of a petty misunderstanding, had married afterward and died early. But he had left a son of whom Miss Prince was very proud and fond, and she had given him the place in her heart which should have belonged to her own niece. When she thought of the other trial, she believed herself still more sinned against than sinning, and gave herself frequent assurances that it had been impossible to act otherwise at the time of her brother's death and his wife's strange behavior afterward. And she had persuaded her conscience to be quiet, until at last, with the ideal of a suspicious, uncongenial, disagreeable group of rustics in her mind, she thought it was well ordered by heaven that she had been spared any closer intercourse. Miss Prince was a proud and stately woman of the old New England type, more colonial than American, perhaps, and quite provincial in her traditions and prejudices. She was highly respected in her native town, where she was a prominent figure in society. Nobody was more generous and kind or public-spirited, as her friends often said, and young George Jerry was well rewarded, though he gave her great pleasure by his evident affection and interest. He liked to pay frequent visits to his old friend and to talk with her. She had been a very attractive girl long ago, and the best of her charms had not faded yet. The young man was always welcomed warmly, and had more than once been helped in his projects. His mother was a feeble woman, who took little interest in anything outside her own doors, and he liked himself better as he sat in Miss Prince's parlor than anywhere else. We are always fond of the society of our best selves, and though he was popular with the rest of his townspeople, he somehow could not help trying always to be especially agreeable to Miss Prince. Although she was apparently free from regrets and very well satisfied with life, even her best friends did not know how lonely her life had seemed to her, or how sadly hurt she had been by the shame and sorrow of her only brother's marriage. The thought of his child, and of the impossibility of taking her to heart and home, had been like a nightmare at first, and yet Miss Prince lacked courage to break down the barriers, and to at least know the worst. She kept the two ideas of the actual niece and the ideal one, whom she might have loved so much, distinct and separate in her mind, and was divided between a longing to see the girl and a fierce dread of her sudden appearance. She had forbidden any allusion to the subject years and years before, and so had prevented herself from hearing good news as well as bad, though she had always been careful that the small yearly remittance should be promptly sent, and was impatient to receive the formal acknowledgment of it, which she instantly took pains to destroy. She sometimes, in these days, thought about making her will. There was no hurry about it, but it would be only fair to provide for her nearest of kin, while she was always certain that she should not let all her money and the old house, with its handsome furnishings, go into such unworthy hands. It was a very hard question to settle, and she thought of it as little as possible, and was sure there was nothing to prevent her living a great many years yet. She loved her old home dearly, and was even proud of it, and had always taken great care of the details of its government. She never had been foolish enough to make away with her handsome mahogany furniture, and to replace it with cheaper and less comfortable chairs and tables, as many of her neighbors had done, 
and had taken an obstinate satisfaction all through the years when it seemed quite out of date in insisting upon the polishing of the fine wood and the many brass handles, and of late she had been reaping a reward for her constancy. It had been a marvel to certain progressive people that a person of her comfortable estate should be willing to reflect that there was not a marble-topped table in her house, until it slowly dawned upon them at last that she was mistress of the finest house in town. Outwardly it was painted white, and stood close upon the street, with a few steep front steps coming abruptly down into the middle of the narrow sidewalk. Its interior was spacious and very imposing, not only for the time it was built in the last century, but for any other time. Miss Prince's ancestors had belonged to some of the most distinguished among the colonial families, which fact she neither appeared to remember nor consented to forget, and, as often happened in the seaport towns of New England, there had been one or two men in every generation who had followed the sea. Her own father had been among the number, and the closets of the old house were well provided with rare china and fine old English crockery that would drive an enthusiastic collector to distraction. The carved woodwork of the railings and the wainscotings and cornices had been devised by ingenious and patient craftsmen, and the same portraits and old engravings hung upon the walls that had been there when its mistress could first remember. She had always been so well suited with her home that she had never desired to change it in any particular. Her maids were well drilled to their duties, and Priscilla, who was chief of the staff, had been in that dignified position for many years. If Miss Prince's grandmother could return to Dunport from another world, she would hardly believe that she had left her earthly home for a day that presented so nearly the same appearance. But however conscientiously the effort had been made to keep up the old reputation for hospitality, it had somehow been a failure, and Miss Prince had given fewer entertainments every year. Long ago, while she was still a young woman, she had begun to wear a certain quaint and elderly manner, which might have come from association with such antiquated household gods, and a desire to match well with her beloved surroundings. A great many of her early friends had died, and she was not the sort of person who can easily form new ties of intimate friendship. She was very loyal to those who were still left, and, as has been said, her interest in George Jerry, who was his father's namesake and likeness, was a very great pleasure to her. Some persons liked to whisper together now and then about the mysterious niece, who was never mentioned otherwise. But, though curiosity had led to a partial knowledge of our heroine's not unfavorable aspect and circumstances, nobody ever dared to give such information to the person who should have been most interested. This was one of the standard long stories of Dunport, with which old residents liked to regale newcomers, and handsome Jack Prince was the hero of a most edifying romance, being represented as a victim of the Prince's pride, as his sister had been before him. His life had been ruined, and he had begged his wretched wife at the last to bring him home to Dunport, alive or dead. The woman had treated Miss Prince with shameful impudence, and had disappeared afterward. The child had been brought up with her own people, and it was understood that Miss Prince's efforts to have any connection with them were all thwarted. Lately it had become known that the girl's guardian was a very fine man, and was taking a great interest in her. But the reader will imagine how this story grew and changed in different people's minds. Some persons insisted that Miss Prince had declined to see her brother's child, and others that it was denied her. It was often said in these days that Nan must be free to do as she chose, but it was more than likely that she had assumed the prejudices against her aunt, with which she must have become most familiar. As for Miss Prince herself, she had long ago become convinced that there was nothing to be done in this matter. After one has followed a certain course for some time, everything seems to persuade one that no other is possible. 
Sometimes she feared that an excitement and danger lurked in her future, but, after all, her days went by so calmly, and nearer things seemed so much more important than this vague sorrow and dread, that she went to and fro in the Dunport streets, and was courteous and kind in her own house, and read a sensible book now and then, and spent her time as benevolently and respectably as possible. She was indeed an admirable member of society, who had suffered very much in her youth, and those who knew her well could not be too glad that her later years were passing far less unhappily than most people's. In the days when her niece had lately finished her first winter at the medical school, Miss Prince had just freed herself from the responsibility of some slight repairs which the house had needed. She had been in many ways much more occupied than usual, and had given hardly a thought to more remote affairs. At last there had come an evening when she felt at leisure, and happily Miss Fraley, one of her earliest friends, had come to pay her a visit. The two ladies sat at the front windows of the west parlor looking out upon the street, while the hostess expressed her gratitude that the overturning of her household affairs was at an end, and that she was all in order for summer. They talked about the damage and discomfort inflicted by masons, and the general havoc which follows a small piece of fallen ceiling. Miss Prince, having made a final round of inspection just after tea, had ascertained that the last of the white dimity curtains and coverings were in their places upstairs in the bedrooms and her love of order was satisfied. She had complimented Priscilla, and made her and the maids the customary spring present, and had returned to her evening post of observation at the parlor window just as Miss Fraley came in. She was not in the mood for receiving guests, being a trifle tired, but Eunice Fraley was a mild little creature, with a gentle, deprecatory manner, which had always appealed to Miss Prince's more chivalrous nature. Besides, she knew this to be a most true and affectionate friend, who had also the gift of appearing when everything was ready for her, as the bluebirds come, and the robins, in the early days of spring. "'I wish I could say that our house was all in order but one closet,' said the guest, in a more melancholy tone than usual. "'I believe we are more behindhand than ever this year. You know we have Susan's children with us for a fortnight while she goes away for a rest, and they have been a good deal of care. I think Mother is getting tired of them now, though she was very eager to have a visit from them at first. She said this morning that the little girl was worse than a kitten in a fit, and she did hope that Susan wouldn't think it best to pass another week away. Miss Prince laughed a little, and so did Miss Fraley, after a moment's hesitation. She seemed to be in a somewhat sentimental and introspective mood as she looked out of the window in the May twilight. "'I so often feel as if I were not accomplishing anything,' she said, sadly. "'It came over me today that here I am, really an old woman, and I am just about where I first started.' doing the same things over and over, no better than ever. I haven't the gift of style. Anybody else might have done my work just as well, I'm afraid. I am sure the world would have got along just as well without me. Mother has been so active, and has reached such a great age, that perhaps it hasn't been much advantage to me. I have only learned to depend upon her instead of myself. I begin to see that I should have amounted to a great deal more if I had had a home of my own. I sometimes wish I were as free to go and come as you are, Nancy." but Miss Prince's thoughts were pleased to take a severely practical turn. "'I'm not in the least free,' she answered cheerfully. "'I believe you need something to strengthen you, Eunice. I haven't seen you so out of spirits for a great while. Free! Why, I'm tied to this house as if I were the knocker on the front door, and I certainly have a great deal of care. I put the utmost confidence in Priscilla, but those nieces of hers would be going wherever they chose, from garret to cellar, before I was ten miles away from Dunport.' I have let the cook go away for a week, and Phoebe and Priscilla are alone. 
Phoebe is a good little creature. I only hope she won't be married within six months, for I don't know when I have liked a young girl so well. Priscilla was anxious I should take that black-eyed daughter of her brother's, and was quite hurt because I refused. I dare say you were right, acknowledged Miss Fraley, though she could not exactly see the obstacles to her friend's freedom in such strong light as was expected. I know that it must be difficult for you sometimes, resumed the hostess presently, in a more sympathetic tone. Your mother naturally finds it hard to give up the rule. We can't expect her to look at life as younger persons do. I don't expect it, said poor Miss Fraley, appealingly, and I am sure I try to be considerate, but how would you like it, to be treated as if you were sixteen instead of nearly sixty? I know it says in the Bible that children should obey their parents, but there is no such commandment that I can see to women who are old enough to be grandmothers themselves. It does make me perfectly miserable to have everything questioned and talked over that I do, but I know I ought not to say such things. I suppose I shall lie awake half the night grieving over it. You know I have the greatest respect for mother's judgment. I'm sure I don't know what in the world I should do without her. You are too yielding, Eunice, said Miss Prince kindly. You try to please everybody, and that's your way of pleasing yourself, but, after all, I believe we give everybody more satisfaction when we hold fast to our own ideas of right and wrong. There have been a great many friends who were more than willing to give me their advice in all these years that I have been living alone, but I have always made up my mind and gone straight ahead. I have no doubt I should be very impatient now of much comment and talking over, and yet there are so many times when I would give anything to see father or mother for a little while. I haven't suffered from living alone as much as some persons do, but I often feel very sad and lonely when I sit here and think about the past. Dear me, here is Phoebe with the lights, and I dare say it is just as well. I am going to ask you to go upstairs and see the fresh paint and how ship-shape we are at last, as father used to say. Miss Fraley rose at once with an expression of pleasure, and the two friends made a leisurely tour of the old house, which seemed all ready for a large family, and, though its owner apparently enjoyed her freedom and dominion, it all looked deserted and empty to her guest. They lingered together in the wide lower hall and parted with unusual affection. This was by no means the first hint that had been given of a somewhat fettered and disappointing home life, though Miss Fraley would have shuddered at the thought of any such reports being sent abroad. "'Send the children round to see me,' said Miss Prince, by way of parting benediction. They can play in the garden an hour or two, and it will be a chance for them and for you.' which invitation was gratefully accepted, though Miss Eunice smiled at the idea of their needing a change, when they were sure to be on every wharf in town in the course of the day, and already knew more people in Dunport than she did. The next morning Miss Prince's sense of general well-being seemed to have deserted her altogether. She was overshadowed by a fear of impending disaster, and felt strangely tired and dissatisfied. But she did not believe in moping, and only assured herself that she must make the day an easy one. So, being strong against tides, as some old poet says of the whale, Miss Prince descended the stairs calmly, and advised Priscilla to put off the special work that had been planned until still later in the week. You had better ask your sister to come and spend the day with you and have a good quiet visit, which permission Priscilla received without comment, being a person of few words, but she looked pleased, and while her mistress went down the garden walk to breathe the fresh morning air, she concocted a small omelette as an unexpected addition to the breakfast. Miss Prince was very fond of an omelette, but Priscilla, in spite of all her good qualities, was liable to occasional fits of offishness and depression, and in those seasons kept her employer, in one way or another, on short commons. The day began serenely. It was the morning for the Dunport Weekly paper, which Miss Prince sat down at once to read, making her invariable reproachful remark that there was nothing in it, after having devoted herself to this duty for an hour or more. 
Then she mounted to the upper floor of her house to put away a blanket which had been overlooked in the spring packing of the camphor wood chests, which stood in a solemn row in the north corner of the garret. There were three dormer windows in the front of the garret roof, and one of these had been a favorite abiding place in her youth. She had played with her prim Dutch dolls there in her childhood, and she could remember spending hour after hour watching for her father's ship when the family had begun to expect him home at the end of a long voyage. She remembered with a smile how grieved she had been, because once he came into port late in the night and surprised them all early in the morning, but he had made amends by taking her back with him when he hurried on board again after a hasty greeting. Miss Prince lived that morning over again as she stood there, old and gray and alone in the world. She could see again the great weather-beaten and tar-darkened ship, and even the wizened monkey which belonged to one of the sailors. She lingered at her father's side admiringly, and felt the tears come into her eyes once more when he gave her a taste of the fiery contents of his tumbler. They were all in his cabin. Old Captain Dunn and Captain Denny and Captain Petterbeck were sitting round the little table, also provided with tumblers, as they listened eagerly to the story of the voyage. The sailors came now and then for orders. Nancy thought her handsome father, with his bronzed cheeks and white forehead and curly hair, was every inch a king. He was her hero, and nothing could please her so much to the end of her days as to have somebody announce, whether from actual knowledge or hearsay, that Captain Jack Prince was the best shipmaster that ever sailed out of Dunport. She always was sure that there were some presents stored away for herself and young Jack, her brother, in one of the lockers of the little cabin. Poor Jack, how he used to frighten her by climbing the shrouds and waving his cap from almost inaccessible heights. Poor Jack! and Miss Prince climbed the step to look down the harbor again, as if the ship were more than thirty days out from Amsterdam, and might be expected at any time if the voyage had been favorable. The house was at no great distance from the water-side, though the crowded buildings obscured the view from the lower stories. There was nothing coming in from sea but a steam-tug, which did not harmonize with these pleasant reminiscences, though as Miss Prince raised the window a fine salt breeze entered, well warmed with the May sunshine. It had the flavor of tar and the spirit of the high seas, and for a wonder there could be heard the knocking of shipwrights' hammers, which in old times were never silent in the town. As she sat there for a few minutes in the window-seat, there came to her other recollections of her later girlhood, when she had stolen to this corner for the sake of being alone with her pleasant thoughts, though she had cried there many an hour after Jack's behavior had given them the sorrow they hardly would own to each other. She remembered hearing her father's angry voice downstairs. No, she would not think of that again. Why should she? And she shut the window, and went back to be sure that she had locked the camphor chest, and hung its key on the flat-headed rusty nail overhead. Miss Prince heard someone open and shut the front door as she went down, and in the small front room she found Captain Walter Parrish, who held a high place among her most intimate friends. He was her cousin, and had become her general adviser and counsellor. He sometimes called himself, laughingly, the ship's husband, for it was he who transacted most of Miss Prince's important business, and selected her paint and shingles and her garden seeds beside, and made and mended her pens. He liked to be useful and agreeable, but he had not that satisfaction in his own home, for his wife had been a most efficient person to begin with, and during his absences at sea in early life had grown entirely self-reliant. The captain joked about it merrily, but he nevertheless liked to feel that he was still important, and Miss Prince generously told him from time to time that she did not know how she should get on without him, and considerately kept up the fiction of not wishing to take up his time when he must be busy with his own affairs. "'How are you this fine morning, Cousin Nancy?' said the captain gallantly. "'I called to say that Jerry Martin will be here to-morrow without fail. 
It seems he thought you would send him word when you wanted him next, and he has been working for himself. I don't think the garden will suffer, we have had so much cold weather. And here is a letter I took from the office. He handed it to Miss Prince with a questioning look. He knew the handwriting of her few correspondents almost as well as she, and this was a stranger's. Perhaps it is a receipt for my subscription to the... But Miss Prince never finished the sentence, for when she had fairly taken the letter into her hand, the very touch of it seemed to send a tinge of ashen gray, like some quick poison, over her face. She stood still, looking at it, then flushed crimson, and sat down in the nearest chair, as if it were impossible to hold herself upright. The captain was uncertain what he ought to do. "'I hope you haven't heard bad news,' he said presently, for Miss Prince had leaned back in the armchair and covered her eyes with one hand, while the letter was tightly held in the other. "'It is from my niece,' she answered slowly. "'You don't mean it's from Jack's daughter?' inquired the captain, not without eagerness. He never had suspected such a thing. The only explanation which had suggested itself to his mind was that Miss Prince had been investing some of her money without his advice or knowledge, and he had gone so far as to tell himself that it was just like a woman, and quite good enough for her if she had lost it. "'I never thought of it being from her,' he said, a little bewildered, for the captain was not a man of quick wit. His powers of reflection served him better. "'Well, aren't you going to tell me what she has to say for herself?' "'She proposes to make me a visit.' answered Miss Prince, trying to smile as she handed him the little sheet of paper which she had unconsciously crumpled together. But she did not give even one glance at his face as he read it, though she thought it a distressingly long time before he spoke. "'I must say that this is a very good letter, very respectful and ladylike,' said the captain, honestly, though he felt as if he had been expected to condemn it, and proceeded to read it through again, this time aloud. "'My dear aunt, I cannot think it is right that we do not know each other.' I should like to go to Dunport for a day some time next month, but if you do not wish to see me, you have only to tell me so, and I will not trouble you. Yours sincerely, Anna Prince. A very good handwriting, too, the captain remarked, and then gathered courage to say that he supposed Miss Prince would give her niece the permission for which she asked. I have been told that she is a very fine girl, he ventured, as if he were poor Nan's ambassador, and at this Miss Prince's patience gave way. "'Yes, I shall ask her to come, but I do not wish anything said about it. It need not be made the talk of the town,' she answered her cousin angrily, and then felt as if she had been unjust. "'Do not mind me, Walter,' she said. "'It has been a terrible grief and trouble to me all these years. Perhaps if I had gone to see those people and told them all I felt, they would have pitied me and not blamed me, and so everything would have been better, but it is too late now. I don't know what sort of a person my own niece is.' and I wish that I need never find out, but I shall try to do my duty. The captain was tender-hearted and seemed quite unmanned, but he gave his eyes a sudden stroke with his hand and turned to go away. "'You will command me, Nancy, if I can be of service to you,' he inquired, and his cousin bowed her head in assent. It was indeed a dismal hour of the family history. For some time Miss Prince did not move, except as she watched Captain Parrish cross the street and take his leisurely way along the uneven pavement. She was almost tempted to call him back, and felt as if he were the last friend she had in the world, and was leaving her forever. But, after she had allowed the worst of the miserable shock to spend itself, she summoned the stern energy for which she was famous, and, going with slower steps than usual to the next room, she unlocked the desk of the ponderous secretary and seated herself to write. Before many minutes had passed, the letter was folded, and sealed, and addressed, and the next evening Nan was reading it at Oldfield's. 
she was grateful for being asked to come on the fifth of june to dunport and to stay a few days if it were convenient and yet her heart fell because there was not a sign of welcome or affection in the stately fashioning of the note it had been hardly wise to expect it under the circumstances the girl assured herself later and at any rate it was kind in her aunt to answer her own short letter so soon end of chapter fourteen